Welcome to Key 3 Educators, helping you excel as a Christian school leader, educator, or homeschooler as you outfit students to learn themselves, love God, and live connected. Here's your host, Stephanie Smith. Well, hello there. I'm Stephanie Smith, and I am eager to help you unlock leadership and teaching excellence in your school, your classroom, or you might even be listening as a home educator. So think of me as the aid that you rely on to bring you resources to help you accomplish your calling. Today on episode number two, you're going to be empowered with some excellent leadership lessons. These are found in the ancient story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And even though it's an ancient story, the leadership principles here are as applicable to today as they were to that time period. The book of Nehemiah is rich with insights on how to define and accomplish a mission, deal with external and internal obstacles, lead a team, and wield authority correctly all of those in God-honoring ways. Now, before we jump into those lessons, would you take two of the 1,440 minutes you have today and leave a quick review? Reviews not only help provide feedback so I can bring you the most valuable content, but it also helps others find this podcast. You know the online world is dominated by algorithms. And all of us know if something doesn't show up on page one of search results, it's kind of the same thing as being buried alive. So thank you for subscribing and investing two of your 1,440 minutes to help other Christian educators have access to timeless truths, meaningful resources, actionable insights, and vital encouragement. Let's jump in. Are you facing any of these? Is your attendance down? A weakened economy? Powerful and partisan politicians? Infighting amongst your team? Conflicting status reports? Inadequate resources? And mandates to produce? Well, take heart. This story from ancient days showcases leadership lessons as applicable to the days of ebooks and email and hand sanitizer by the barrel as they were to the time of bricks and buckets and swords. 2,500 years ago, more or less, the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. It had been ransacked by the Babylonians in 586 BC and emptied of most of its people who were carted off as slaves. A generation later, there's a man named Nehemiah. And he is a Jew serving in the high office of cupbearer to the Persian king. The Persian Empire was huge. It dominated the ancient world at this time period. Now, sometimes we think of a cupbearer as being a grunt job. And this was the person who took a sip of the wine before it was served to the king to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. Well, that was not Nehemiah's job. This was too high of a position to be able to just have the risk of one sip of wine knocking somebody out that had probably taken years to cultivate his skill set. Nehemiah's position was more akin to what we might have today as the overseer of a huge vineyard. 
um, he was a phenomenal wine steward. One day, he enters into the king's presence and his expression is sad. That might not seem like a big deal to us today. In the United States, at least, you don't get fired from your job because you have a sad face one day. But this wasn't the modern U.S. This was ancient Persia. You left your sadness, your anger, and any other negative emotion at home. You learned to wear a mask because when you showed up before the king, you better show up happy. It didn't matter what was going on in your life. And so even the fact that Nehemiah allowed his countenance to be affected by what was in his heart was taking a huge risk. The fact that King didn't immediately say, off with his head, or whatever it was they said in those days, also demonstrates that Nehemiah had built a relationship with the Persian king. Now, make no mistake, they weren't poker buddies when Nehemiah got off of work for the day. This was very much a king-servant relationship, but there still had been cultivated a mutual respect between the two. Nehemiah tells the king what has made him so sad. There are reports that had come about the city of Jerusalem and how it still lay in ruins. So the king asks, basically, what would he like to do about it? And Nehemiah receives permission to return to Jerusalem and oversee the rebuilding of the city's walls. This wasn't some aesthetic endeavor motivated by a desire to beautify the city. Walls were the first line of military defense, a crucial part of a community's survival. This Old Testament account packs an astounding array of leadership strategies into its short 13 chapters. Today, we're going to look at just six of those. Number one, Nehemiah seeks and receives approval from the king the ruling authority to pursue his desire to see Jerusalem's walls rebuilt. To be certain, any biblical principle taken out of context and or automatically applied apart from the remainder of Scripture results in disappointment or disaster. Other stories, such as Daniel being ordered to worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue, teaches us that man's laws never trump God's. But we don't have any indication that Nehemiah needed to steal away from the palace or denounce the king to complete his God-ordained mission. In fact, receiving his majesty's approval helps confirm Nehemiah's role as Jerusalem's wall restorer. Clearly, there are times to stand up against the secular authorities when there is a legitimate clash between God's laws and man's laws. But we don't want to apply that as a heart-to-whole fallacy. There are times it is absolutely appropriate and even necessary to work within the approval of ruling authorities. Number two, Nehemiah has orders put in writing. These guaranteed him safe passage. He knows that relying only on his claims about what the king has said may cause delays at best and disaster at worst. 
Uncertainty and anxiety seem to produce a lot of forgetfulness in ourselves and others. Written policies and communication promote safety. Written policies and practices don't just apply to the big things like student handbooks and employee manuals. It also can be a wonderful technique in just the most basic of communication. Now, you don't have to become crazy about this. You don't have to write down every little thing like, yes, I gave student X permission to go get a drink of water. But let's say you've had a meeting with a parent or a student or maybe an entire team. It never hurts to have someone put the synopsis of that meeting in writing, send it out by an email. It is astounding how many people can walk away from a meeting and hear entirely different things and recount things that you wonder, were they even at the same meeting? And so making this a practice by just following up with anything that might produce conflict or or any kind of confusion in the future by putting a summary in writing shortly afterwards is just a safety protocol for everyone. You don't want to attend a board meeting and put together a proposal where you want to say, hey, we need to raise $30,000 to update all of our technology and have this great meeting and then later find out that people thought you said $3,000. And so something in writing with those types of things is just a good practice to have. Number three, Nehemiah requests a grant to obtain necessary supplies. And he has this grant approved. In his case, he is requesting that the king make arrangements, which is a type of grant, to secure timber that he's going to need. Today, maybe it's technology. Maybe it's new athletic equipment. Maybe it's professional development opportunities for your staff. He thinks ahead and isn't shy about asking for materials to complete the job. Jesus used a variety of methods to heal, and God's supply train runs on creative tracks. Number four, he gets going. He doesn't just keep holding meetings and drawing up new wall specification plans. He prepares enough to be productive, not Perfect. Most people in education value excellence. They want things to be done well. And while that is a huge benefit, we certainly don't want to go to the opposite end of that, it also can morph its way very easily into perfectionism. And perfectionism is the enemy of progress. It's not the fuel of progress. It's not the measure of progress. It is the enemy of progress. Nehemiah does enough planning before he heads off to Jerusalem so that he has safe passage. He has some materials. He has a mandate. He has permission. But eventually, he just gets moving. So again, you want to prepare, but enough to be productive, not perfect. Number five. He immediately encounters opposition. When he gets to Jerusalem, the local authorities of neighboring villages aren't interested in anyone's welfare but their own. Now, to be clear, a rebuilt Jerusalem didn't threaten their survival, just their lifestyle. Actually, a strong Jerusalem 
could have been seen through the lens that, hey, that's going to make the surrounding areas less desirable for any invaders. But they don't see it that way. Because, you know, there's kind of this human tendency that we want things to go the way that they're already going. People want to retain their power. They want to retain their way of life. They want to retain their way of doing things. They want to retain the way that they educate or how educational systems work. Opposition isn't just going to come from people who are threatened to be put out of business by you. Opposition is going to come from people who just don't want something different in their area. Weigh someone's motives when they support and when they resist. Look closely to see what's behind their behavior. Being mindful of the possibility of misdiagnosing intent. We do have to be careful not to make assumptions about someone's motivations, but we also want to not just take things at face value. All disagreement in method isn't disapproval of mission. And all agreement on path isn't unity of purpose. Number six, Nehemiah conducts a firsthand inspection of the situation before communicating his objective to the leadership or the people in Jerusalem. When Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, he doesn't first go gather everybody up and say, hey, guys, guess what I'm here to do? I'm here with a mandate from the king, and oh, by the way, I've got supplies coming, and we are going to rebuild these walls. Woo-woo, hooray! That's not what he does. He takes his time, and he travels around the city. He does very detailed inspections, and he's quiet about all of this. He wants to have his ducks in a row. He wants to have information and data so that when he presents this to the people and to the the leadership that is there in Jerusalem, that any questions that people have, he is going to be able to answer. Again, going back to number four, he prepares enough to be productive, not perfect. This principle doesn't mean that you have to have every single minute piece of information that anybody could ever ask you before you communicate your objective, your mission, your ideas. It does mean you need to have good data to work with. And it's also important to note, he conducts this firsthand. He doesn't assemble a team and then send them out to come back with reports. Later, we see in some different settings he does this, but when it's the initial inspection, before the mission is announced, certainly before it's launched, He conducts this inspection firsthand. Secondhand reports are good and they have their place. And it's necessary to have reliable people as it's impossible to fact check everything. But the more serious the situation or the earlier in the process, the more critical it is for you as a leader to have firsthand information. As a leader, you are probably very aware that there are only like, oh, I don't know, 345 million books on leadership on the market. And trying to decide what leadership podcast to listen to and 
general is like standing at the end of the cereal aisle in a major grocery store. I mean, those aisles feel like you're standing in one of those rooms where mirrors are positioned on both ends and it feels like you're facing infinity. Well, leadership matters. And in the book of Nehemiah, God graciously provides key insights for excellence in leadership. Next time, we're going to look at six more lessons from Nehemiah that we can apply in leadership. In the meantime, visit the website key3educators.com and sign up for the Three Keys newsletter. No cost, only benefit. You may be thinking, the last thing I need is one more email in my already overflowing inbox. Well, let me make you these promises. First, I will never spam you. Second, I won't bother you with cute cat pictures, Christmas cookie recipes, or travel tips to Tahiti. I will provide meaningful content in a condensed manner because there's only one idea, insight, or resource between good, better, and best. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope today's leadership insights help you achieve your immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable impact. Thank you for being with us today. For information on speaking engagements and resources for your school or family, visit the website key3educators.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.